Welcome to AI Unboxed, your portal to the pulsing heart of innovation. I'm Andrew Monnier, and together, we're stepping beyond the digital frontier to explore the wonders and intricacies of artificial intelligence. Each episode is an invitation to thinkers, doers, and dreamers, pushing the envelope and redefining the possible. So settle in and let's embark on this journey. This is AI Unboxed, where your untapped potential meets the minds that dare to unlock it. Welcome to another episode of AI Unboxed. Today, we are joined by a former mentor and friend of mine, Vinay Patenka. Vinay is the CEO of Process Street, which is the AI-powered platform for project, process, and compliance management. It has helped thousands of leading fintech, asset management, real estate, and healthcare companies reduce risk and streamline operations. Sounds like a pretty cool tool, but I'm, I'm a bit biased, you know, about this. <laughs> um, the, the first question I always ask, I know I just did it, an, an intro, but is there anything else, you know, you'd like to briefly go over, introduce yourself, your area of expertise? Yeah, I mean, not not really, but just uh, great to be talking to you again. Obviously, we got some history. You uh, used to run our marketing team back in the day, and we had some some good times. So it's awesome to be here chatting with you again. Same, same. Um, what would you say attracted you to the intersection of AI and like business process management and everything that you're working on now? Yeah, so we've been at this for a while, working on our you know, process management platform for a number of years. And we just felt that a lot of the AI tools were just out of reach in terms of complexity and the kind of ROI of what it would take for us to build on them to what the value we'd get or we'd be able to deliver to our customers and the, you know, how much we'd be able to charge for it. And, you know, obviously the 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 kind of release of the new LLM APIs, you know, driven by open API kind of changed the ROI metrics a lot and like encouraged us to explore a lot of the different um, you know, paths that we could go down and functionality that we could deliver and really changed the yeah, the ROI and the calculation of how much it would cost, how long it would take to build, and the value that we could deliver. So it wasn't that it was something that um you know I I kind of have this long history with. It we definitely did look at AI for a number of years for different use cases, but again, it just felt out of reach. And so it was really that just the kind of change in the the infrastructure available that enabled us to start, you know, offering that type of functionality to our customer base. Yeah, absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense. I know I think it was years and years ago we were talking and even at that time we were talking about like GPT, like the first models that were coming out. We were watching like some of the videos and stuff like that, but it wasn't easily accessible to like a developer and teams. Uh, but with the launch of it, I mean, even just recently, right? They um ChatGPT just opened up its marketplace and now anybody can go in there and create like an app and like build on top of that. But you have your own team. There's developers, designers there that can incorporate it and build it into your flow. And it's just more accessible than it used to be in the past. Yeah, exactly. And for us, you know, it was it was really, you know, we don't feel threatened by AI. It was really a um, enabler. It was a new type of functionality that we could deliver and incorporate into our product. And it's offered a lot of value. Our customers really, really love the stuff that we've built. But um, it just wasn't yeah, accessible for us before. And so 
yeah, it's been it's been a really fun year kind of diving into that and building out a bunch of cool features and seeing seeing how it's being used and the feedback from our customers. Nice, nice. How would you say that, you know, AI might be revolutionizing your your space? I would say that, uh, you know, in process management, process automation, process mining, it's been used for quite some time. And so we more service kind of the mid-market, whereas in the real enterprise spaces, let's say like insurance processes, they've been using AI for a long time. So they do a lot of analysis around predicting insurance events. They do a lot of automation around forms and form automation and OCR and that kind of stuff. So it's been revolutionary. Healthcare is a good example as well, right? They've been deploying AI into healthcare. A lot of like form transcription, data automation kind of work has been done for a long time, well before the launch of GPT and, and, and things like that. So it has been deployed into the kind of process automation space for a long time. I think the big unlock for us as a business is that we're now able to deliver it to the SMB market in a way that was completely financially unattainable before, right? The the cost of, of deploying a big healthcare automation solution makes sense if you're a big hospital and you can spend millions of dollars on it and it's being delivered by IBM. And that's been around for five, 10 years or whatever. They've been working on that stuff. But this has really made it accessible to a 300-person company or a 50-person company and and allowed them to basically integrate similar types of functionality. So doing, yeah, a lot of like document automation, forms processing, OCR stuff, helping with just simplifying build time and enabling them to come up with processes that they may not have thought of before or parts of processes that they haven't thought of before. But probably the most value is actually just incorporating it into workflows itself. So you're able now to use it to do kind of all these things that help automate day-to-day operations inside these businesses that before just would have been, you know, so expensive that it just wouldn't have made sense for them to deploy it in the past. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Speaking of that, uh, could you share maybe like a real world example of one of these like traditional processes that are improved by incorporating, you know, AI into it? Yeah, totally. So one of our most common processes is employee onboarding. And through the employee onboarding process, there's a lot of messaging that goes out. There's a lot of forms that need to get filled out. Um, And so AI can help with processing all the forms that come in, uh, taking all that data, using it to generate, you know, welcome messages, emails, onboarding packs, documents, And it basically just all that type of work that needed to be done manually in the past, you know, AI can kind of use it for for generating all that stuff. Um, I think that's a good example. Another good example is just kind of processing information that's coming in from customers. So you might have various customer requests, customer tickets, customer kind of change management projects that have to be done. And AI can help with categorizing, synthesizing, um, doing sentiment analysis, uh, prioritizing, um, territory assigning. It can do all sorts of different, interesting, like kind of, you know, things that might have taken, maybe you would have to build a huge kind of conditional logic tree to maybe figure it out beforehand. Um, but even then, sometimes it might not have even been possible. 
And it can kind of turn that into a very sim- a simple prompt or command that makes it way more accessible to somebody who doesn't have that kind of technical skill and, and, and understanding of these complex logic trees to be able to do this type of pretty pretty advanced stuff. Wow. Wow. It, it basically sounds like an entire like ops team, you know, that has come in there. And of course, I, I reference like the marketing side, right? So you go inside a HubSpot and you say that this person's coming in, right? This prospect or this lead. And you have to go in there and manually set like the different conditions saying, okay, it's going to go to this sequence. If it's there, this is their geo. This is their IP. This is what we're going to be, you know, sending out. Oh, make sure you do this. And then there's still always like that person or a couple people that slip through that is like, how, how did they get in there? But that isn't something that people can just like easily go and set up, especially like an SMB, you know, they, they don't want to, they don't have the capacity or the resources to hire a full ops team to come in there and set that all up having an AI built into it that has like this basically like pre-logic built it and and then it's like thinking and learning from it that that's a huge time saver yeah so there's a few things like one let's just say you have someone's city and then you're like you have three different regions you know you have one third of America Central America and then the other you know three, you kind of say spice up America into three regions it's like you would either you would kind of have to have this list, this mapping table of like all the cities in America, and then you'd have to kind of know where all those cities, like what state all those cities are in, and then assign a whole group of states to like a rep or a team. But with AI, you can just ask like, you know, what third of America is this city in, right? And it will automatically kind of do that routing that otherwise would have been like a very complex table and logic tree you'd have to manage. So. That's kind of interesting, but probably more interesting is like if there's free form text, right? So if they've submitted a contact us form and it's like, tell us what you're contacting us about, right? In the contact form, like tell us your, tell us the legal problem that you're dealing with as like a law firm or something like that, right? Tell us the, tell us the website project you want to work on, right? And it can, it can take that freeform text and start to classify it and prioritize it and route it in a way that you would kind of have to have hundreds and hundreds of these weird trigger words, right? Like to kind of catch any type of freeform text that was submitted into that form and try to figure out like what type of problem is this person trying to solve and how, you know, how, how much of a priority is it for our sales team or how big of an opportunity is it for us? How, you know, where should we kind of route this or prioritize this kind of request? And so when the things are coming in in more natural form, it's an email, it's a it's a support ticket, it's a contact us form, then it gets really interesting, right? Because it's 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 still annoying to route the cities, but you still kind of have a finite list of cities. When it's a free form text, it's just like can be anything, right? Um, even it can be like other languages and stuff and also understand it, right? Someone could submit it in some, you know, in Japanese or something and it will still like know what's going on. Yeah. That that's always been like the bane of many people's existence. They have their contact form in there and there's that one option that's like, Hey, just share your concept inside there, like share your whatever. And it, it just goes in a bunch of different directions. So you have to sit there and like read it and try to like actually understand it. But having something there that can do that for you that just reduces the labor, you know, labor costs and workforce there and just allows you to focus on higher strategic, you know, efforts. Yeah. Then you can take that and you can also use it to generate responses or kind of help you further on in the flow with other things that are going on as well. So yeah, it can really just help, you know, streamline a lot of these these workflows that your customer support teams or sales teams or 
um, professional services teams, et cetera, mm. are doing. Yeah. Would you would you say it's able to like? I mean, it, it's categorizing these additional like open fields. Uh, you think like making like a database of common themes and trends from that is something that's also able to do is something that's interesting because then it could, you know, build out these like scripted responses, you know, down the road. Yeah. Once you have that categorized, you can store the the category and then you can do analysis on that category. Yeah. Awesome. Um, could you maybe describe a, a fascinating AI application that maybe you've recently worked on? I know like Process Street is all encompassing. So an example from, you know, Process Street would be great. Uh, so, I mean, a, fu- a fun one we did recently was we uh, we did this kind of as a bit of a, a marketing gimmick to um, just kind of work with our customers is we built this New Year's resolution workflow. And it was, it was something that we, you know, we just did and, and sent out o- over New Year's, which was pretty fun where you could kind of punch in a bunch of um, things you were trying to do. Like we kind of had two parts. You could either say, what are your, what's your resolution around like you know, systemizing your business and building out more more processes and systems for your business, or what's like a personal resolution that you might have. And we built this workflow where it's like, okay, I want to systemize my businesses. It's like, okay, I want to systemize my sales processes. And it would kind of come up with a whole bunch of interesting suggestions and ideas and an action plan for how you could go about starting to, you know, cr- create a plan for 2024 to you know, systemize that area of your business that you kind of suggested as the focus. Or if you did like a personal one, it'd be like, oh, I want to learn Spanish or something. It would kind of give you an action plan and a bunch of tips and resources on how you could, you know, start learning Spanish in the new year. So that was a, that was a pretty fun one. Um, internally, we have a, we have a bunch of interesting ones. Like, let's just say, uh, so, um, we do these in our meeting workflows. So we have workflows for different meetings that we're running and you might have a, um, uh, so at the beginning you might have, you rotate who's doing note taking, who's the kind of, who's leading the meeting in that, uh, for that particular example. So AI is kind of like picking and routing and saying, okay, you're the note taker today. You're the meeting taker. It's almost like a dice roller, right? Where it's like kind of picking who's doing things. Then it will, then it will look at like well the um the different topics that have been submitted. It will create an agenda, and then like the note taker will take notes about what's going on. Then it will create action items from the notes. It will create a summary from the the notes in the meeting, and so it kind of works to really streamline the meeting process and make things a bit more fun and um fair. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, Maybe for the the first example of actually like launching this New Year's resolution, you know, workflow that you sent out there, what do you think, well, what were some of the challenges of actually bringing the application to life or that process to life? There's challenges around formatting. I think that was an interesting one that we had to deal with. So uh, when we're kind of building out the the responses and if you said, oh, I want to learn Spanish, let's say, versus you just said learn Spanish as your input you would, when we kind of like presented you with the plan, it would say, oh, your plan is to, I want to learn Spanish, right? Instead of your plan is to learn Spanish. So we'd have to kind of use AI to reformat all the responses in a way that kind of made everything look really nice when it was spat out into kind of like a final document. And so I think that's like a really interesting thing because people can input in these fields in all sorts of different ways. They can 
you know, not use capitalization correctly. They can add extra fields here or there. They can add filler words. They can kind of type things in. It's a lot of like kind of reformatting that freeform text in a way that looks really professional and is formatted cleanly and like outputs into a document in like a really structured, clean way. Um, I think that was one of the challenges. Uh, just, yeah, just, just messing around with the prompts. So just trying to get the thing to have more actionable outputs and clean outputs versus um, kind of flowery, long paragraphy kind of sentences. Um, yeah, but not too much. It's pretty. It's pretty easy these days to to use the to use the tools. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your your first example about formatting. I feel like I've I've heard that so many times in like different use cases. Uh, so an example like using one of these image generators, right? It spits out text that even if you tell it to put text, right? It adds like an extra letter here, or it's like mixed all around there. And people that are not graphic designers, they're looking at that and like. Oh, okay, maybe I'm going to send another prompt to say, hey, remove this. Hey, remove that. It, it doesn't. It just gets worse and worse as you keep going through there. So you definitely need some of that human aspect brought on, layer on top of like uh, these these models to make sure that things do come out correctly. Yeah, totally. And that's kind of one of the things a lot of people like about using AI with Process Street combined because we have these um, kind of approval flows built in. So as you go about and the AI is doing stuff, it's writing emails, it's writing messages, it's creating documents for you. We can we put in these like approval flows so that you always have these humans. Well, you have the option to basically have humans need to double check something and approve it and they can kind of regenerate it before anything goes out to a customer or an employee. Whereas when you just kind of like, you know, have AI write this email and automatically send it, then uh, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a dice roll. Yeah. Oh, oh. So like, I don't remember saying that. Uh, oops. Um, I, I know that you work with, you know, compliance management and you're getting into like areas like healthcare. Uh, and, and one of the, the big questions is always comes up around AI is, you know, ethical considerations. You know, as you're working on, you know, rolling out, I mean, process streets rolled out, but incorporating more AI functionality in there. Are there specific, you know, ethical considerations that you're considering whenever you're building, you know, developing this work? Um, I mean, we just, we just follow whatever the compliance standards are, right? So there's like a number of things like say HIPAA for healthcare that we, that we follow and that basically builds in a lot of that stuff. So there's certain things that you can't do. You can't share, you know, important patient information or sensitive information about like people's medical conditions and stuff like that. And so we have controls around things like that. We also have controls around like if people actually just want to turn off AI and actually not not use it at all um in the or not allow anybody to kind of use it at all in 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 their in their um organization um but you know it's a pretty like our our products are pretty like flexible products right where you can do a lot of things and we just give you those building blocks and we can't really manage everything right um so yeah, we do. We just we just try to make sure that, especially with things like healthcare or or financial financial teams, that we're giving them basically the controls that they need to basically manage how they want um, the the system to perform. Right. So whatever their kind of ethical standards are, we give them the controls to basically turn those things on and off as they choose as a customer. We don't kind of make those decisions for the customer. Yeah, that's that's super smart. Um, 
That, that, that makes me wonder, you know, a lot of companies launch and then they're building AI natively into like their entire functionality. So there's not that option to switch things off because then their, their product won't function at all. How, how did you go about doing that? Uh, did like from the get go, you were like, hey, we're going to like keep this separate. They can turn a toggle, it turns on or how just can you walk me through that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I think that they'll probably struggle to sell into certain industries if that's the case, right? So there are lots of industries that are not heavily regulated and they're probably going to have a lot more flexibility. You know, tech startups are probably a good example of that. Maybe not not fintech or health tech, but just kind of like normal tech. Um, And that's going to be fairly limiting to the type of market that they can go after, but well, you know, that's fine. Like there's there's plenty of opportunities in those industries as well. Our platform definitely, um, we find offers a lot more value to customers that have a regulation and have processes that they have to adhere to to kind of meet those regulations and stay in compliance. And so that's a lot more important for us. But also because we didn't, we weren't AI from the beginning, we'd already built out a very robust solution before we implemented AI when we added added it in, it was just a kind of module on top of what we already had. It wasn't part of the core infrastructure. So that made it easy to kind of silo it out and create kind of controls and permissions around it. Um, so yeah, because it, because we'd already built a lot before it, we were just, it just kind of was pretty natural for us. Yeah. Nice. That, that's smart. Um, I, I know you're working again, you know, in these highly regulated areas. Is there maybe a specific ethical dilemma that you could share that you faced, you know, while like maybe moving into that space or like incorporating AI into it? Hasn't really come up a lot besides that these companies have these certain regulations that they have to adhere to. And we just make sure that we give them the capability to adhere to those regulations. And like I said, a lot, I think a lot of that's built into it, but um, again, it's like the product can be used in so many different ways that we're not really making those types of decisions in the product where like, here's the kind of toolkit, um, here's the options that you could use. If you need to follow these certain regulations, then these are the options that you need to, you know, turn on or turn off. Um, but besides that, we're not really making those decisions. You know, it's just like, it's like a Word doc or something, right? It's kind of like, oh, are you going to control like what people write in that Word doc type of thing? Um, and it doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really make sense for us to police like what people kind of put in our, in, in, you know, in our product that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, you touched on it earlier. I mean, you thought about how you were going to market with this. You know, you built in, you, you understand your, your customers and who you're working with. And so you you knew that there's already regulations in those industries. You went and researched those. You understood there's like HIPAA compliance, there's GDPR, there's SOC 2, there's all these other things. So whenever you were ready to do it, you're like, okay, we'll build this in. It's great. It's powerful. But they might have pushback in these spaces about AI, especially since it's so new. Let's give them the ability to not have that be a major objection or blocker. And if it does come up during like a conversation, it's like, hey, you can just toggle it off. And they're like, oh, okay. So you can, you can move forward. So I think having that foresight before, you know, building it out and thinking through it made all the difference. And that's probably, that, that's why you're not, you know, faced by all these ethical dilemmas. It's like, oh no, we need to roll this back. Oh no, we need to do that. Right. Yeah. I think that, yeah, exactly. And then also the product already has a lot of these controls in place. Like I talked about, we have these approval flows and things like that, where 
you, you know, if you are concerned about AI doing this or that, we already have all these kind of controls in there where you can say, oh, we'll add an approval step, add three approval steps, right? Like add your, make sure your legal team approves this. Like we can kind of control all of that. We already have that kind of functionality built in. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the other things like, like training data and stuff, right? Like if you're, if you're going through the API, it's not using any of your data for training purposes and all of that kind of is private. And so a lot of that's also thought of by, you know, the, the providers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know I've talked to other guests on this in the past and the, the big thing is it didn't, it, the like ChatGPT wasn't always like sharing that, hey, you shouldn't put private information in there or all these LLM models. It's like, hey, we're actually using this info that you're giving us and building it into our training models. And so there were a lot of issues there. Now there's those notifications saying, hey, don't put Alec Baldwin's number in here and contact him. He just popped into my head because I read an article about him. But don't don't put all his info in there because, hey, this isn't private and we're putting it, even though it, we try to neutralize it, it's still going into a larger data set. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, from my understanding, everything that's going in through the APIs, so if you're basically paying then none of that's being used for training, right? It's only the free users that are basically contributing to the training models. And that's kind of one of the benefits of paying is that if you're paying either for GPT Pro or you're paying through the API for each of your calls, then, you know, you're paying for privacy, right? Mm, that makes sense. Now, now taking a, a step back and like looking at like a larger, maybe not full 10,000 foot view, but still, you know, a higher higher view, what and I know you're you're you know in B two B SaaS in tech you're very very plugged in. What would you say is maybe a groundbreaking yet underutilized AI tech you know technology app whatever that that is being used in in the space? Yeah, I think there's a lot of really. So I mean, there's going to be a lot, right? It's going to be a huge huge amount. But I think that where you're going to see it offer a ton of value and like really large companies get built is um the very the very like kind of core business processes so hr accounting sales like those are going to be the ones that there's going to be these huge huge things built i recently um invested in a company that is basically rebuilding quickbooks ai first and so it's this kind of like it's like a finance product right for accounting and finance so it's like quickbooks and payroll but it's just everything is ai first so you know all your expenses are automatically run through ai and categorized and posted all of your forms are like automatically sucked in through ai all your receipts are sucked in through ai like just every single thing just like all the little bits and pieces that like a bookkeeper would need to do or an accountant would need to do all your kind of tax documents and tax filings are automatically organized and like set up for you for the year. It's just like every little bit of the process of managing like the finances for a business, like every single step is kind of just getting pushed in through like an, an AI kind of module essentially. And you're, and you're seeing just, you know, what used to take a team of people, you know, a whole year to do. It's like someone part-time can just kind of like do all the finance work for a business because it's just so many of those little individual steps just get fully automated or at least like 80% the way automated. Um, I think you're just going to see that kind of happen through these, like these, these main functions of a business where you used to have, you know, 
in a finance team, you might have like a payroll, accounts receivable, accounts payable, bookkeeper, an accountant. That can all just get like squished into like one person just managing an AI platform. Um, I think you're going to see lots of value in legal. Like I think soon you're going to just like a lot of things that you would tap your legal team for. You're just going to be able to talk to an AI bot and get a lot of that value. Um, a lot of like document automation and contract automation and that kind of stuff. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to be everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think I might trust like an AI legal bot a little bit more than sometimes an attorney, uh, just because it has the full data set behind it and it can give you that specialized knowledge. Of course, there'll, there'll be those prompts in there that says, Hey, I don't actually know that, which is what the attorney says anyways, but you know, it'll have a larger, you know, uh, database that they can like reference and say, Hey, this is what it says right now. And it's, uh, it's like a hundred percent accurate. So that's very, very, very cool. Yeah. I mean, doctors too, right? Like, you know, even before ChatGPT, like Watson was, you know, IBM's Watson was, was more powerful and could outperform a lot of doctors. And it's just like, you know, a doctor that's like every, every day there's hundreds of new, you know, research papers and studies like published, right? And just an AI that has literally read everything ever. And every day it reads every single new thing that gets published, right? Like, you know, probably hundreds and hundreds of hours of like reading that it's just doing every single day based on new data that's coming out. Um, you know, you, you go and you, you see a doctor that's whatever in their fifties or sixties, went to med school, you know, 30, 40 years ago, like, you know, it's just been cruising, you know, for the last 20 years kind of with his patients, like surely like that person is not as up to date on all the new kind of cutting edge science that's, that's coming out you know maybe the very top like doctors and the top hospitals that are the, the highest paid and that the you know the billionaires go to or whatever like maybe they'll be able to compete but your average doctor in an average city that's kind of like just you know being cruising in their local practice for the last 30 years or whatever it's unlikely they're going to be able to outperform an ai right um yeah. For sure, for sure. Probably, probably like that. The median AI, uh, you know, knowledge base and everything will outperform the vast majority, you know, of people out there, just because of like the wealth of information you can hit. Uh, like you said, there are always those, you know, outliers for sure. Those people that are really like the top. Uh, and then you you have to you know also believe that like hallucinations and other factors that don't lead them down weird biases have been rectified or kind of like built out a bit so that you you know, don't get some weird answers and responses, but, you know, as we progress, I mean, it's rapid, rapidly changing and getting better and better every day. So that's, that's soon. That's, that's very, very, you know, soon to, to come. Yeah. Like you were saying with the, the image with the text, right. You know, now you get some, some text responses that are a little bit weird. They got an extra letter here or there, but like six months ago, you couldn't do text at all. And so it's not going to be long before that text is perfect, right? Like in five years or something, right? There's going to be zero yeah. errors in text. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, well, looking at this same, you know, train of thought, where do you think maybe AI is falling short in like the tech field or healthcare or what, whatever you want to go down? Yeah, I think that one of its biggest problems is it still just doesn't really understand things well right? Like it's still very far away from a human who can fully like understand a concept. It's, you know, and, and, and tackle it in like an innovative new way, um, that it's not 
th- th- where there isn't kind of like training data somewhere for it to reference. Um, and I also think that it's, it, it has a big challenge in um, synthesizing ideas in a way that really draws out the most important um, kind of most impactful parts of that idea. If you ask it to like summarize something, for example, it might give you like a general summary, but it might actually not include the most important points. This this kind of surfaces a lot in marketing, right? If you're like, summarize this kind of web page or this white paper and put it in an, in a sales email for me. It might it, it doesn't really know how to pick what are the ideas that are going to sell the best, right? What are the ideas that are going to actually convince somebody the most? It's going to give you more of this kind of generic summary or it's going to summarize each paragraph into like a shorter paragraph, but it's not going to really like pull out the pieces that are really important. Um to say write an email or for like copy on a website, right? Like AI is very far from being able to outperform the best copywriters, right? Because it, it gives you it gives you average copy. It doesn't give you the best copy. Um, and so, yeah, being able to really kind of like understand, oh, what are the, you know, value triggers or emotional triggers that you're trying to like hit when you're, say, writing a sales email or crafting a copy for a landing page um, or even, you know, creating a presentation or, or whatever you're trying to do doesn't really know how to kind of pick those ideas that are going to have the biggest impact and and convert the best or drive your message or kind of anchor emotionally with somebody. So it's kind of just doing this generic kind of reformatting of text without really understanding the 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 point of of like what you're trying to do. And so I think there's a lot of room for improvement there, yeah. Absolutely. And I guess that's that's where like the, the human led has to come in, right? You have to look at AI as like an assistant to help you there. You know, you're, you're, yeah. It's a co-pilot, right? Uh, and then if you really like drill down on these like LLM models, they're really just looking for the best next word that makes sense whenever they're pushing it out there. So they're like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. And it's it's pretty good. You know, it gets pretty good. But it doesn't, like you said, get to the heart of a lot of these pieces and you lose a lot of detail. I've run so many tests where I'm like, keep all the core details of this. Do not remove it from this. And it still gives me like this weird generic thing that I'm like, okay, you kept a part of it, but that that's still, that doesn't work for me. You know, I need to go through it again. Uh, so I, I think that's a really good, you know, shout out that, yeah, it people are saying that copywriting and content marketing and all that is like going to get taken over by AI, but you really need that human side of it because a lot of this stuff is just, you know, it's, it gets lost and it doesn't hit the mark. Yeah. No, like, look, average copywriting will get taken over, right? You, you need to write like an average email. You need to write like a, a, a an internal document that's getting circulated that doesn't really matter how well that performs. Like, Sure. But you, you know, you drop, you know, you you wanted to craft like a Super Bowl ad script or something, right? Where like you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, the the cost is so high, you're gonna get a better result by like finding the best agencies with the best copywriters and the most creative thinkers. And a lot of the time, you you know, you're doing something where, you know, no one's ever thought of it before. If you remember, like that, um, that Coinbase Super Bowl ad where it was just like a QR code that was like bouncing around. It's like, hey, I wouldn't be able to, like, now it probably could because, like, it's been done before. But, you know, those kind of, like, innovative ideas, that's where it really falls short. And, um, 
What's the other, like the Einstein quote, right? Where like genius is being able to take a complex idea and explain it in a sentence or explain it to a five-year-old, something like that, right? Like it's not very good at that. It doesn't have that kind of genius. What it can do is it can take a, a someone who's done that and that take that one sentence and turn it into a three-page essay, right? Like it could do that well, but that's kind of like the opposite of genius, right? That's kind of like extrapolation, right? So yeah, it doesn't have that kind of ability to to really like hone in on these high leverage ideas and, um, it, you know, copy and sentences and, and value points. And so I think there's still a lot of opportunity there, but it can help humans brainstorm that stuff. It can help humans el- eliminate things. Um, so it's definitely, you know, it's definitely got its place, but still a long way from being actually a human and having actual intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners might have instantly got the image of themselves telling ChatGPT, shorten that, shorten that, please shorten that. You know, because that three-page essay that comes out there from his little thing, it's like, no, no, no. And so that's just like, I guess, first world problems, right? We're going in there, just please make it shorter. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of a risk in that too, right? Because then it might like not include the most important things in that shortened version. Yeah. So a lot of the time you need to know, like, these are the three value points we need to hit because we know these are the three things that resonate most with our audience or our customer or whatever. And then you're like, make sure you include these, but make it short. But if you don't give it that instruction of like, I'm telling you, these are the most important things because we've tested this aggressively. We've we've spoken to a hundred of our customers, like whatever, right? Like I've just, I've read all of David Ogilvy's books and I understand like the, the, power, the power words that need to be used or whatever, like. If you don't kind of like and give it that type of direction, then it doesn't it doesn't hit the mark. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and that's that's why it's an assistant, and that's why we have to think about that as like it is a great assistant, but you can't let it like just run the whole thing for you because then it just starts going into like mediocrity and the stuff that's shipping is just yeah. If you just want to be like everybody else and never stand above the crowd, sure, you know, send it, but giving it that guidance and that direction is what makes it powerful and saves, you know, true like marketers and everybody else, you know, a lot of time because you can like guide it. And then you take that, like you said, as, as guidance uh, for right. moving forward. So, but there's, there's still lots of like places for it, right. Where, you know, you're like, Oh, okay. You're a office assistant at like a dentist practice and you're going to write an email with like, here's like a summary of the, 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 you know, the services you received or the types of work that you had done. And this is like your next check-in date. And like, you know, thanks, thanks for being a customer, right? Like that doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to have like some expert copywriter, like write it, right? It's just a very basic kind of transactional email. And for those types of things, it's great, right? Like it's, it's, it's taking labor off like a human who is just doing a kind of mundane kind of repetitive task and it's it's you know it's 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 really freeing them up to do more of these kind of creative important tasks and so yeah it definitely has its place and there's lots of places you know i think with the marketer's hat on it's maybe there's a lot of (laughs) it's not as useful but for a lot of these just like operational jobs right it's it's super valuable yeah absolutely totally totally agree that's actually where we see a lot of our customers use it right is more in these like operational processes where there is a lot of value because like the 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 interaction or the the job that's being done 
is not this super high value job. It's just kind of this more repetitive, mundane job that a human's doing, and it can really like lighten that load a lot. Um, yeah, repetitive tasks, right? That's why we've created a lot of like services and tools out there. It's to help reduce those repetitive tasks that a human could be not well not have to do. They could focus on higher value items. So, cool, man. Uh, if we if we look a little bit towards the future, right? Uh, what what emerging AI trends would you say you're most excited about? Um, good question. I think one of the things that we've been waiting for is for GBT to kind of bring in a lot more image analysis and document analysis into its API. So that's something that we're looking to implement in the product, but, you know, add in any image, add in any, uh, upload any scanned form or a photo of a form and help, like, we'll help you process that, right? So say you're doing like a real estate inspection and you're just going around and you're like, oh, there's like a leaky faucet here and you take a photo of it and you upload it. You're like, leaky faucet in the bedroom and like fill out all this data for you, right? Like from from the photo or if you, yeah, you upload a PDF or, or, or uh, a form that's been like written, written out with a, you know, a pen and paper, process all that OCR it organize it categorize it like so I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff with kind of computer vision basically and integrating that into these workflows and there's a lot of people people working on that right now but um, I don't know if you see like Meta's Meta just released like the an update to their their Ray-Ban glasses but you can kind of just like so you can just like what you know you're wearing the glasses and they've got camera and like a headphone kind of built in and they they kind of integrated an AI. They've got it's called Llama. That's like their their Siri and their LLM model. Um, you can see it in like if you're in you know Messenger chat or Instagram chat or something, you can kind of like query the the AI now. Um, but you can just say like walk up to a plant and then look at it and say like tell me how to. F-. It's kind of like a half dead plant and it's like tell me how to fix this plant right and it will be like oh it looks like you're looking at this type of plant. It looks like it's suffering from like not enough water or it needs like some extra calcium or something right and it would just like so you can just kind of walk around the world. Um, you know accessibility is amazing right like you could just be if you're blind you can just walk around and it's like gonna can tell you what you're looking at everywhere. Um, but. Uh, yeah, kind of just being able to to interact more with the world through photos and videos, I think is something that I'm really excited about. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I'm not sure if I'm thinking about that one or maybe Google launched something similar where they had like the Google like uh, like sunglasses like with lenses that were like tapping into what you were seeing and it's like giving you information and then you can like start searching and stuff like that. It might have been meta. meta. I, I can't remember, but I did see something similar to that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Google launched one recently. They had the old one, Google Lens. Yeah, the old one, yeah. Meta has just like, they're like, it's like a partnership with Ray-Bans. If you go into any Ray-Ban store, you can buy them now and they just look like normal Ray-Bans. Uh, super interesting. Very, very cool. Um, how do you see the relationship between AI and human expertise evolving, you know, over the next few years? Yeah. So I think basically AI will replace the bottom half of performers in most knowledge work. So if you're, you know, below average designer, below average programmer, below average lawyer, below average marketer, right? Like then your job is going to get replaced by AI. And I think it's going to supercharge the above average workers. So they're going to be able to do the job of three or five people 
and they're going to be able to have higher quality outputs because they're utilizing the, these AI co-pilots to kind of handle a lot of their mundane work. But they're adding on that layer of human creativity, filtering the results, guiding the AI in a way for it to help kind of them uh, supercharge their work, right? Um, so I think that, yeah, you either, yeah, you need, you know, if you're kind of just like someone that's, that's coasting, doing the, the minimum work and, you know, hasn't really put in the effort to master your field, I think that you should be concerned. Uh, I think if you're a top performer who's really passionate and is constantly learning and innovating in their field, then you should be excited because you're going to be able to accrue a lot more value because you're going to be able to offer a lot more value by using these AI co-pilots. Um, 100%. 100%. I, I think that's a really good shout out. I mean, especially if you just niche down into the tech field with everything that's been going on, you know, over the past, you know, couple of years with the mass layoffs, with everything like that. I know that there's been like reconfiguration and there's been some, I'm not saying there haven't been some amazing top 1%, 10% talent that were let go. That happens with like the reorgs, but they, those top percentage have an opportunity now to like do even more and like find a better, you know, fit for them and everything around there. So I think evolving and building these into their own processes and internal workflows is is just going to elevate them to new heights as opposed to those people that are just like, well, and it's not the government, right? Well, I'm here at the government. I'm going to be here for like a hundred years and then I'm going to get a gold watch and it's over. It's like, this is, you know, capitalism. This is the space that we're in that is all now, especially on the VC side, we need to see the ROI. We need to see the money that's being returned to us. And it just gets tougher and tougher. So you have to be a high mm-hmm. performer and utilize these tools that are around you. Yeah, not just the VC side, any public company that has shareholders that they have to report to, right? Um, so you're you're seeing like Google's just like slashing right now and it's just replacing people with AI like already, right? Like it's just going. It's just going to be more and more until these companies just get super, super tight. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, let's Let's look at some like personal insights and maybe like lessons just in general, you know? Um, what's a lesson that you've learned in your career that you wish you knew earlier? The thing that I wish I had done earlier and I'd learned earlier was just to start my entrepreneurial journey faster. So I think that I didn't start building websites until I was kind of in my, you know, mid twenties. And, um, I just feel like if I was on that from when I was 16 or something, then I would be way, way further ahead. That's always something that I, that I wish that I'd done. And I feel that kind of like once you're in that entrepreneurial mindset, you, you just unlock things a lot faster and you learn a lot faster. Um, and I think there's also, and it's not even necessarily like starting your own business. Like for example, the first thing that I think for me that was really like an entrepreneurial unlock was working in sales where I almost just had to manage my own desk. Right. And it was kind of like running a little business in and of its own. I think it's, getting out of that and you know once you're once you're like higher up in an organization you you are entrepreneurial because you have your budget and you have your your, you have your targets and it's kind of like a a lot of the responsibility rolls up to you to kind of figure out how to make things work but if you're just like you know working at mcdonald's or working in like a as a you know in, in in a job where you're not kind of using any of those entrepreneurial muscles and kind of decision making muscles right um, understanding how to place bets, how to allocate resources, understanding how to prioritize, understanding how to like drive a target forward, then you're just, you know, you're, 
you're way behind somebody who's kind of getting that those learnings earlier. And so I think I would try to get myself into situations earlier where I was kind of exercising those muscles, whether it was starting a side hustle or whether it was trying to get into something that was more like a sales job or something earlier on where it was more up to me to figure out how to make it work versus me just like taking orders and just kind of doing what I was told. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And I think even if you're not going to go out as an individual and like start your own business, understanding the the other levers that pull or move an organization forward is crucial because then you can take a more holistic approach in your work. You can understand the different components in there. And you only know that if you push yourself beyond your comfort zone, like you were saying, I think it's, what is it? Noah Kagan, uh, has like a challenge where he makes everybody go out there and try to negotiate on something, no matter what it is. Like you go there, you try to buy something, you have to negotiate it down and you do that multiple times just to get you beyond that like comfort level. And that gives you a different perspective. And it's like, oh, that can actually happen. So you have to, you know, push that muscle and grow. But uh, I think that's a really, really good, good insight that anybody can apply. Yeah. That actually reminds me of another another lesson that I could share, which is getting closer to like getting closer to the people who are doing the things that I really want to do. Like an, another lesson was like um or another example is when I was growing up in Australia, I like would only read about say tech entrepreneurs, you know, in the Financial Times or in The Economist or something, you know, in these kind of big magazines. And the only people that kind of make it into those magazines are the, the public company CEOs and whatever, right? And it like the gap felt so big between where I was and like the types of people who I thought were like kind of the entrepreneurs running businesses. But once I got, to, once I traveled to America and I started going to some conferences and I started like meeting people in person that were more closer to my age, had much smaller businesses. And I just was able to kind of like sit down, like, so, you know, and ask them questions and just like physically kind of experience, you know, in arm's length, like people who were doing things that I was aspiring to do, it made it a lot more attainable, right? And so kind of staying in your, this is kind of part of the maybe getting out of your comfort zone, but, or, or what you mentioned is like once you once you start to kind of see it right once you start to get kind of closer to it and see that it's physically possible it kind of changes from this idea that's like in a movie or something right to more reality and i think this is why people who may have like entrepreneurial parents or whatever kind of tend to get a big bigger head start because like they're so they're so close to it their whole life right but for most people you're just told like oh go to go to school get a job like you're, you know, or you're, or you're just like sitting on your computer all day and you're not like going out and kind of like interacting with, with these, these types of people in the real world. I can, you know, even if the gap is not very big, maybe all you need to do is do something, make a small change because it's, you're not like physically close to it. It makes it just feel a lot further away. And so trying to actually physically get close, um, whether that's going to events or going to meetups or finding a mentor or like, Anything like that, I think, can really make a huge difference. Uh, and, I, and I wish I did that earlier as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess it's it's that believability effect, right? You 
when you're actually there and you see somebody else can do it, it's like, oh, I, I could do it as well. And you see that this is something that's possible as opposed to just in like the Financial Times and these huge, you know, people that we build up in our minds that are just like almost, you know, like a whole nother level of person. Um, I wanted to use an example. I think it was like Malcolm Gladwell talked about like that nine minute mile, that person that like forever. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who it was. But like forever, yeah, the couldn't four break. minute mile. Yeah, yeah, the four minute mile. There we go. Couldn't break it, and then all of a sudden, the person broke it, and then like the next year, like five people broke it, and then the next year, like a bunch of people broke it. It was just like, hey, it's possible. We can actually do it. But like for all these like years, nobody could actually do it, and it was just that believability factor that hey, I can do it. It's a mindset shift. So I think that's yeah, huge, man. Totally. Yeah. Um, are there any maybe like major reading recommendations or resources that you would recommend people like check out maybe AI related or just like generally that you're like, these are my go-to and you should probably check them out as well. Yeah. One of the books we've been on a big strategy blitz this year. So my favorite one from uh, like 2023 was uh, Good to Great. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a really great book around trying to kind of dissect what makes you know a business great and how to kind of achieve that through very considerate focus and prioritization for sure uh that that's a classic everybody should definitely read that i mean jim Jim collins knows what he's talking about so um let's see wrapping things up a little bit here what would you say your moonshot project is and this could be ai you know into process street but uh your moonshot project for the future um, I wouldn't, I don't know exactly what the project would be, but one of the areas that I'm really passionate about is kind of unlocking human potential, like, like, like human kind of brain potential, basically. So I think that humans are the most interesting, you know, valuable things that we can observe in the universe, basically. And I think that we have this, and the reason that humans are most interesting and valuable is like, we have this brain that basically can, um, create explanations, create art, create knowledge, create technology. And we're the only, you know, thing that we know of that can do that. Right. And we have this limited capacity of kind of brain cycles, right? We have whatever it is, seven and a half billion people, they're awake for 16 hours a day. They can probably pay attention for six to eight hours a day. That's kind of like your finite cap of resources of, of like this kind of resource that's arguably the most important resource, right? Like everything that around us kind of comes from this resource, right? Like we'd all basically be dead. We wouldn't have food. We wouldn't have shelter. We wouldn't have medicine. We wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for this brain cycle going on, right? Um, Yet so many humans are trapped in ways, and this can kind of tie back to AI, but so many humans are trapped in situations where they're not able to use like their mind properly. Um, They're in a war zone. They don't have hunger. They don't have food. They don't have education. They're trapped in a, in a, in a labor job that the way they're not using their brain, they're using their body. And, um, you know, I think AI is a great example of how we can kind of free up more of those minds to solve the most important problems of humanity and enable these kind of brain cycles to, you know, if we had, if you think about like, let's say, um, kind of Einstein's era, which whatever, hundred years ago, 70, 80 years ago or something, right. When he was born, um, you know, how many people had college degrees, how many people had, um, education up to like advanced levels in math, 
it was probably, I'm just guessing, I have no idea, but you know, 3% of the world, 5% of the world or something, right? So you, if you could find one Einstein when 5% of the world is kind of educated in that way, you could think that if you could educate the entire world in that way, maybe there'd be 20 Einsteins running around at any given time. And then imagine the kind of like impact that you could have by having 20 of those people kind of solving problems at once versus just one, right? And so trying to kind of unlock more human potential that way is something that I'm very passionate about. It's a, it's a very big, um, you know, it, like, there's a lot of kind of different like directions you could go with that and different types. You know, there's lots and lots of problems that are basically blocking that, right? Um, so I don't know exactly what the project would be, but I think kind of pushing that forward would be would be valuable. No, I, I think that's beautiful. And that, that falls right in line with the moonshot, right? I mean, this is a big idea that can make a massive impact on the world. So I, I love that. I mean, as you develop that, always hit me hit me up. I'd love to. I mean, <laughs> Master's of Behavioral Economics, that's so cool. Uh, I love where you're going with that. Um, how can our listeners follow your work and you? Uh, yeah, so the best place to check out you know, our company is Process Street, process.st, uh, or you can follow me on X, Twitter, at vinap 10 Perfect, perfect. Well, I know that I learned a lot from this conversation and, you know, it's always a pleasure talking with you, Vinay. I'd love to leave like any last words of wisdom that you have for our listeners um, that you'd like to relay. Yeah. Don't be afraid of AI. You got to embrace it. You want to be one of those above average performers that's uh, that's crushing it. And uh, I think if you don't, you know, you're going to be left behind. So I wouldn't be afraid. I would be diving in headfirst. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Um, and we'll, we'll catch you later. Take care. Thanks. Great catching up. Good to see you. You too. You've just listened to AI Unboxed. To hear more stories about the future of AI, subscribe to AI Unboxed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm Andrew Monnier. Until next time.